A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Welcome to the first episode of the retooled, reworked, ridiculous Fantasy Brews podcast. The only podcast in the nation catered exclusively to our Wisco Dynasty League. That's right. We are redoing Fantasy Brews. We are bringing it back and we're just talking about us. I'm going to talk shit about you guys, make you guys look like fools. I'm going to build up myself by talking about my good trades and ignoring all my bad ones. Now, we'll try to keep it fair, but we are going to have a podcast about just our league. We'll do some episodes throughout the offseason, maybe do some power rankings, look at some rookies today. We'll do episodes throughout this year as well, going week to week, looking at matchups, all the crazy stuff that happens. I'll have you guys on here from from time to time as well. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. So let's go ahead and get started. This episode, we're going to be talking championship matchup review. We're going to do a kind of generic, large-scale trade review on all of the 2023 trades that I kind of noted throughout the entire year, including the offseason. And then we'll give my two early rookie rankings. All this stuff, if it isn't obvious already, is going to be subjective to my opinion. So, you know, while I'll I'll remain unbiased, my opinions obviously are going to differ from yours. Should create a lot of fun discussion, for sure. So that'll be really cool. You heard me open a beer to start because this is Fantasy Brews. And today we are drinking Lizard Biscuits. A collab between Youngblood and more Brewing Co's. I've been drinking a fair amount of Youngblood lately that I've really been enjoying. Uh, this is an unfiltered dry hopped lager, and I, I think I had one of these before. Let me give you the review. Yeah, I do not like it. At all. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not good. But I'm going to drink it. So... We have some news, uh, kind of league news here. Just give you an update on a few different things. As you know, transactions are currently disabled. We always have done a hiatus in the league following the championship matchup all the way to Super Bowl Sunday. So Super Bowl Sunday is effectively our new league year day, if you will. You'll be able to put in waiver claims on Super Bowl Sunday that will first run the following Monday morning. And then you'll also be able to make trades starting on Super Bowl Sunday. I'll, I'll activate that stuff sometime in the morning, as long as it's after the waivers would have run, so no one's putting in a claim, you know, 10 minutes before waivers accidentally run or something like that. You also likely have seen the results from this past 2023 season in the league chat. The draft order is posted there, along with the payouts and the bonuses for the year. That is pinned as well if it gets buried in other messages. Obviously, keep an eye out on the chat for discussion around other things, including the uh, off-season owners meeting and rookie draft day, I'm going to eventually post, you know, the list of things that are on the voting list for us for that day and whatever else might go on. Next, we are going to move into our championship review. Obviously, first and foremost, congratulations to Kyle, who has won the championship. He has become the first owner in our league with multiple titles when you beat me a few years ago in the championship as well. So congrats to Kyle. It was a super close matchup. Kyle won by just 1.3 points. It was a rematch of last year where Rob beat Kyle by like five. So really close matchups between these two guys in the championship in each of the past two years. But again, this year, Kyle emerges victorious 
by just 1.3 points, which is pretty crazy. Thank goodness for no stat corrections that came through against you in the end there. I did a little studs and duds thing for this, kind of like the footballers do. And it was a pretty low-scoring matchup. I mean, the, the actual point total was just 102.38 to 103.68. Actually, both teams in the toilet bowl, Devin and Andy, both of them would have beat either Rob or Kyle. So that's, that's cool, I guess. Um, go championships. No studs at the QB position or the running back position by either team in my book here. But we do have a few nice point scores at the wide receiver position. Nobody really popped off, which is kind of lame. The biggest one, I think it was Puka. He went 5 of 8 for 118 yards. I had another 19 rushing on the ground. Debo Samuel was 5 of 6 for 37 yards, which is modest, but he also scored a touchdown. And then he added another 35 yards on the ground as well. And then we moved to kickers and defense in the studs because that's where we're at. Both kickers uh, had a pretty good day. Josh Myers for Rob with 12.9. Matt Gay, shout out to Matt Gay for 13.6 uh, points in that matchup. And then Kyle also started the Jaguars defense, putting up 16 points on the back of six sacks and a shutout against the Lowly Panthers. Then we have the duds. You know it, the story of the week. Kyle starting Bryce Young. Bryce Young putting up just 3.68 points. Only 112 passing yards and an interception. Pretty brutal start there, but it wasn't enough to do him in. The other guys I put on the duds list from Kyle's side here is crazy. It's the combo, uh, the duo of Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler. They combined for only 7.7 .7 points, which is crazy. From just a year ago, Eckler put up 30.1 by himself in championship weekend. Derrick Henry didn't play that week. It's kind of a weird playoff clinching scenario, I think, with the Titans where they like were resting starters in week 17 but then had to play in week 18 or something. But in the three games before championship week, Derrick Henry put up uh, 17 or more points. So pretty crazy to see where they came from. Um, but yeah, as, as we know, Kyle did win, which means Rob had some, some softer players too. Honestly, not too many outright duds I, i'd say i, I was kind of arbitrarily looking at like guys that just failed you with like five or less points six or less points and for Rob, there were just a few but really guys just didn't pop off uh guys like stafford barkley mike evans rashad white all were in the like seven to eleven range which you know stafford had like 14 which you, you kind of want to have more from all those guys really a couple of those guys and then, of course, McCaffrey. McCaffrey leaving early, that was huge. The game, you know, it was a 1.3 game, and McCaffrey, I mean, what did have, uh, how many, I think Mitchell had like 17 carries or 15 carries he got in the end zone. So that was a pretty brutal blow. And then the Seahawks defense going negative, negative four. 20-point swing with the two defenses in this game, pretty nuts. And then I put a missed opportunities section here as well. For both teams, the easy one is Joe Flacco, best QB on both teams in the on the entire week, even though he was against the Jets without Amari Cooper. So that was just honestly pretty crazy to, to, to pull that off. But 18 points missed there. Didn't end up mattering in the end, but kind of crazy to see. And then honestly, looking back at, at everyone else's benches, no one else really popped off. There was, I mean, the game was so close, so you could have a number of guys in for a number of guys on both sides and it make a big difference. But really, really kind of a quiet championship you know when all things are considered looking back congrats to kyle oh god that's not a good beer it doesn't even oh i am sorry 
Okay, next we're going to do some trade reviews. So this will be a little weird with the podcast, you know, coming back and being a recurring thing throughout the year. We'll be able to dive into trades deeper as they come. Here, I'm just going to kind of look back throughout the entire year and really quickly touch on just a handful. I think I have like eight here, seven here, eight here that were, I think, noteworthy enough, but we'll be kind of quick. And I'm going to start at the beginning of the off season and I'm going to start with myself. March 5th, I traded with Paul. I gave away Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert to obtain James Conner, which ended up being a pretty good move in the end. I know Herbert was hurt for a while. I think Williams was too, but both guys had a lot of competition. Connor averaged the RB15 in the games he played, finished RB24 on the year, you know, just cumulatively, which is a pretty decent return, I think, um, if you include the context of my running back situation, especially at the time. A couple of months later, May 26th, Brian, he picks up Brandon Ayuk and a 23 third in exchange for Samaj P. Ryan and a 25 second from shoes. So, uh, you know, I think Ayuk is looking like a pretty good receiver. I definitely see the logic there. P. Ryan was potentially in line for some carries at that point in the offseason. But with hindsight 2020 vision, that looks like a nice trade for Brian. And so we will continue with nice trades for Brian. On July 15th, Brian picked up DJ Moore, who finished as the wide receiver seven, playing with his best quarterback of his career in Justin Fields. Brian also netted a 24 first, which became the 109 in exchange for giving me T. Higgins which at this point in time definitely won that side, uh, the trade, that DJ Moore side. I did look at Higgins' stats, which I, you know, since I didn't have him, I haven't been following him. But I was kind of surprised. He has put up five weeks this year where he was the wide receiver nine or better on the week. He was injured himself for a while. He had some pretty poor games. Obviously, Joe Burrow getting hurt hurts him as well. But I was pretty shocked to see he had five games in the top nine at the position in our scoring format. So that was kind of nuts. Now some in-season trades. On the 21st of September, another pretty solid trade for Brian potentially here. Brian sells Marvin Mims and a 2026 first-round pick in exchange for Nico Collins with shoes again. Nico Collins went on to finish as the wide receiver 17, so that's a pretty nice return so far. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Marvin Mims is definitely good, but didn't really do much this rookie year. That first is a first, but it's a couple years away yet. And Nico Collins looks pretty good with Stroud there. Obviously, Tank Dell is going to be a big part of that offense, too. That, that's a good good place to be. On October 3rd, Andy kind of, I think, in my eyes, kind of fully committed to his lost season after all these injuries, or, or really started committing, I, I, perhaps I should say. Uh, and made still a good process move here. He trades with shoes, gives up Cooper Cup, and picks up Drake London, and then a 2024 second and third. Those are the 210 and 310. But a nice process trade by both guys. Andy, you know, moving to the younger guys. Cooper Cup might age out as Andy's kind of looking towards the 2024 season and Shoes making a playoff push. Made a few good trades down the stretch here, which resulted in a successful playoff push. Picks up Cooper coming off the injury, uh, looking like a big part of that offense. And even with Puka, Cooper had some pretty good games. On October 2nd, sorry, 22nd, Devin trades away Jameer Gibbs. This is right before week seven. And Devin picks up Najee Harris and the pick that becomes the 108 in this upcoming 2024 draft. Gibbs had a wild finish to the year from that week on, actually, from week seven on. That first, that was the first week Gibbs kind of had his full involvement. That was the first week that David Montgomery was injured this year. 
and gives maintained a uh, position in that offense from that point on. So he had a really good year, but Najee also looked good to end the year, and a first-round pick is a first-round pick that's coming up this year. So this will be an interesting trade, to, in my opinion, to keep an eye on as the next couple years go on, see if Gibbs maintains the level of success and involvement, see if Najee can keep going for a few more years, and see what that first-round pick becomes. Last kind of main in-season trade before a couple that were at the deadline, Jake Setsky netting Jackson Smith in Jukaba. Soft ish year i guess for a first round rookie but looking at the situation he's in with both lockett and metcalf it made a lot of sense and lockett is aging it'll be really awesome to watch jsn who did look good as he goes into his sophomore season and jake gave up a 2024 second and third and dak prescott to shoes another one of shoes good playoff push trades in my opinion shoes who had lost anthony richardson who had a good start to his year when he played I had a role with, I think, Russell Wilson for a little while, who was pretty good, but had some moments. I think he traded for Kirk Cousins with me, and then he got hurt pretty quick. So then trading for Dak was a good move. Jake had the quarterback depth. He's got Lamar and Stroud on his team. So I think there was a good trade for both teams as well. And then a couple interesting trade deadline trades. I'm going to go out of order date-wise here to end with probably the best one. So November 13th, right at the deadline, I made a trade with Andy really minor one ultimately i moved back from the second to the third round in 2026 to add devin singletary who went on to be a pretty reliable rb2 again my running back position was pretty suspect all year long although pacheco i mean come on but singletary was reliable a few shallower games that didn't totally kill you he finishes the rb17 from the point of the trade onwards he was the rb24 on the year and in that stretch he did outscore pollard Bijan, and alvin kamara so I think a nice trade it didn't net me a championship in the end, but I think I was eliminated before his two worst games in that stretch, championship weekend and the weekend before. And then perhaps the trade of the year, because perhaps it resulted in a championship, right at the deadline, Kyle and Mike Terrell. And it was a good trade for both sides, I think. Kyle trades Jerome Ford and his 2024 first, which we now know is the 112. And he gets Debo Samuel and a couple later round draft picks, one in a future year. And again, I think a good trade for both sides. Mike Terrell's bolstering his running back room. Ford played pretty well, was pretty involved when he was on the field, which was nice. And you're also getting a first-round pick, which is great. But Debo is a huge reason why Kyle got to where he was and won the championship. I, I listed him as one of the studs earlier in this episode. Kyle was dealing with a Justin Jefferson injury. Kyle had traded for Tyler Lockett a little bit before this trade. I just don't think he was getting from Lockett you know, everything that he wanted, and he needed those receivers. I mean, you know... Aside from Sky Moore, yeah, yeah, that's that's my point. So that Debo trade was was pretty huge. Debo had a great stretch run down down at the end of the year as well. It, it was pretty impressive to watch. The week before championship week, he puts up ten, and then nineteen point nine, thirty two point six, thirty six point eight. So really around that that trade onward, he's studly. He's he's got to be a top top five receiver down that stretch, if not better probably two here with what I'm looking at. So great job with that trade again with both teams, but Kyle pulling off that championship with that trade. Now we will move into my two early top 10 rookie rankings here. Obviously again, subjective, but I do want to note, I am not really considering like future prospects with this. I'm kind of just objectively looking at just this season, how these guys performed. 
And before we start with number 10, I have two honorable mentions. A couple guys that looked really good and just had their season cut short. We'll start with Anthony Richardson, drafted at the 107 by Shoes. He only played in two full games, but in those two full games, he was the quarterback four in week one and then the quarterback two in week four. He obviously is pretty good at carrying the ball in those two-plus games. He had 25 carries for 136 yards and four touchdowns. And just some minimal passing stats so far, but he did look pretty good in his short stint, which was kind of the biggest concern, I think, with him going into the year. The other honorable mention is Tank Dell for the Texans. Drafted in the third round, so great value by Shoes there. He played in 10 games and got injured. But he looked great. He had 47 catches on 75 targets, 709 yards, and 7 touchdowns in really 10 games. That's that's an awesome stat line tied to a great offense with a bunch of young good guys in the Texans. He finished as the wide receiver 35 on, on a year. So wide receiver 3, and he didn't play 7 games, 6 games, I guess. I'm recording this after uh, week 17, so no week 18. But he averaged 13.9 points per game, which would be the wide receiver 11 on the year. So really impressive Tank Dell in his rookie year. And with that, we will go into the top 10 starting at the bottom. And at number 10, I have Devon Achan, drafted by Mike Terrell at the 106. This was kind of a tough guy to place. He's looked really good, but just on the year, how much he's been helpful is, is iffy, I suppose. He played in 10 total games. Two of those games were sub 10% snap percentage. So really kind of eight games. His stats are nuts. 93 carries, 744 yards. That's an eight-yard average per carry, which is wild. On a 93 carries, seven touchdowns, and then he had another 192 yards and three touchdowns through the air. He finished as the RB22 on the year. He averaged 16.5 points, which would equate to fourth. He had five top 10 finishes, super impressive. Finished as the RB1 in week three with 49.3 points. But this is one of the reasons I put him, I guess, at the bottom. He missed some time, which just makes it tough, you know, the value during the year. And this week three game, not too many people started him, including Mike Terrell. And, and that's not, you know, a shot or anything. This is week three. I don't think he played week one. In week two, he was super not involved. So people are waiting to, to see him get actually involved in the game plan before you start him. And so not many people started him week three, which really sucks to have missed out on him on that week. He missed a four-game stretch mid-season, came back after the bye, but got hurt after just one carry, probably in a lot of people's lineups. I did check, and Mike did start him that week, sorry. But again, he looked great all year, and Mostert's only getting older in that running back room. At number nine, we have C.J. Stroud, drafted by Jake Setsky at the 203. I have a little bias, I guess, against quarterbacks and tight ends because I'm looking at this from a fantasy perspective. You only need to start one, whereas the running backs and the receivers, you know, you have to start so many, they're a, a little more important. So Stroud had a great rookie year. He just kind of falls a little bit suffering by this, this kind of fantasy football landscape that we exist in. You know, if we were a super flex league, he'd probably be number one or way up there at the very least. C.J. Stroud played in 14 games, ended the year with just over 3,800 passing yards, 21 TDs, and only five picks, which is super impressive for a rookie. 147 yards and three touchdowns on the ground, finished as the QB 13, QB 10 by a points per game basis of 18.3. Something I thought was really interesting, he finished as a QB 1 on six separate weeks, including an overall QB 1 finish in week 9. That was his game 
with 470 yards and five touchdowns. That was nuts. With one game to play, he is currently fifth most in passing yards as a rookie in history. So go C.J. Stroud. Number eight, perhaps controversial, perhaps not, Bijan Robinson. Drafted by Brian at the 101. I did consider a little bit the uh, draft capital that went into these guys. I didn't weigh it too heavily, but for a 101 pick for the prospect he was hyped up to be, you really did expect more. And honestly, Bijan looked great. He looked amazing. I think we all know who's you know, more at fault here, Arthur Smith. Bijan finishes the year with 203 carries for 948 yards. That's a 4.67 average and four touchdowns. He had another 51 catches for 384 yards and three touchdowns. He had 78 targets, 78, which was fourth in the league. I would not have guessed that, you know, watching these games, seeing how involved Algier and Patterson and Algier were. But Bijan still got his in the end. You like to see that carry count go up for a guy that you'd hope would be a kind of a bell cow, especially on a running-centric offense. Bijan finishes the year as the RB12, which is nice. On a points-per-game basis, he finishes as the RB20. He played all 16 games. And part of the problem, part of the reason he is as low as he is, is his usage was just so wild and unpredictable. He only had three games under a, like a brutal score of five points, but that included a .3 finish and that negative .1. I think that was the first round of the playoffs. Seven games as an RB1, five games as an RB3 or worse. So it was really up and down, even though he looked great. And again, the scariest part is the involvements of the other guys at the expense of Bijan's carry count. Bijan only had 15 or more attempts in five games, which again, you're kind of looking more towards the bell cow style of, of player here. And I think you're just hoping that comes next year. Number, oh, where am I at? Number uh, seven is Jaden Reed on my team, drafted at the 204. This was a kind of a tough one to place with, with him and the guy that follows specifically. Something you might not know, Jaden Reed was actually the second best rookie receiver just at the end of the year on a total points basis. That's aided by him partaking in the rushing game and also by our league's specific rule where we award return yardage points now. And Jaden Reed does some kick and punt returns. But hey, those are points and I will take them. Jaden played in 15 games. He finished the year with 60 catches on 90 targets for 681 yards and 8 touchdowns to the air. He also had 11 carries for 119 yards and 2 more touchdowns on the ground, plus the aforementioned return yardage as well. That places him at wide receiver 19 in our scoring format. On a points-per-game basis, he has 12, good for the wide receiver 22. So like I mentioned, he actually finished as the second-best rookie wide receiver in our scoring format. 10 total TDs helps that a lot as well. He started seeing targets more consistently in the second half of the season, but it was still pretty unpredictable early. And ultimately, the reason I have him below some of these other guys are his snap percentages. You take out a couple games where he left at halftime, and he's still hovering around 60% of the snaps. And if he's a full-time starter, which, I mean, I guess maybe he isn't yet, maybe he will be next year, maybe he won't, but I generally like to see that number up higher, and especially when you compare it to some of the other guys that follow. So I have Jaden Reed at number seven. At number six, and this was the tough one for me to place with these two guys, Zay Flowers, drafted by Andy at the 108. Zay Flowers for the Ravens played in all 16 games. He had 108 targets, finishing with 77 catches for 858 yards and five touchdowns. Another 56 yards and a touchdown on the ground, too. He finishes as the wide receiver 28. 
and a points per game basis, he finishes as wide receiver 35. He had a good final numbers to end the year, but was pretty inconsistent week to week in his rookie year. He had five games as a top 15 wide receiver, and four of those came in the last five games for the Ravens, which is awesome, but also does directly correlate with Mark Andrews leaving the lineup. He also had seven games as the wide receiver 40 or worse. His snap percentage was consistently high, so that's really nice, right around the mid-80s to 90s and in most weeks more often than not. His target counts, though, had some highs and lows, so you like to see a little more consistency there. But he does look good, and I think he should only get more involved as time goes on. At number five, we have Jordan Addison, drafted by Brian at the 104. Jordan Addison and the guy that follows here uh, above also were, were pretty tough to place for me after looking at all the numbers. Jordan Addison, he plays all 16 games, finishes the year with 100 targets, 66 catches for 854 yards, and 9 touchdowns, finishing as the wide receiver 23. On a points-per-game basis, he had 10.8 for 30th on the wide receiver list. Something worth considering, Addison is or was the wide receiver 10 in weeks 1 through 8. These are the weeks that Kirk Cousins was at quarterback. He had some inconsistency down the stretch, especially with targets, but you can also point to the mess of quarterbacks that played and, and look at it that way as well. He had two separate weeks as the wide receiver one on the week, which was super impressive. And he also had six weeks that were less than a wide receiver three, including in the second round of the playoffs, finishing as the wide receiver 119. So I'd like to see a little more consistency. It's tough when the quarterback goes down, but it's also kind of what happened on the year, and you got to take it as it comes. The number four player on my rookie list and the second-to-last receiver is Rashi Rice, drafted at the 206 by Mike Terrell. Rashi Rice was awesome. He played in all 16 games, 102 targets, 79 catches, a little shy of 1,000 yards with 938 and seven touchdowns. He finished as the wide receiver 25 a couple spots behind Addison. On a points-per-game basis, he was 10.8 as well for the wide receiver 32, I guess. That really should match with Addison at 30. Uh, I didn't look that they were tied. That's incredible. Uh, but it kind of makes sense. Rookie pattern was established here with Rashi Rice. Once they hit their bye week, from that point on, Rashi Rice really got fully involved in the offense and kind of just hit his stride. If anything, you could argue that they should have done this earlier with how bad that Chiefs receiving core was. But after the bye week, it was Rashi Rice town. From week 11 on, which is following that bye week, he saw four of six games with more than 75% snaps. He saw four of six games with nine or more targets, which was nuts. He was the wide receiver 10 in that stretch, averaging 13.6 points per game in that stretch, literally mirroring Jordan Addison's Kirk Cousins stretch. I gave him the edge here because his pattern really just followed his rookie development. He got better as the year went on and more involved. He essentially got more involved and was worth the involvement. It's nothing against Jordan Addison. It was just a really tight, tight situation there. Rashi Rice, he should be in a good situation going forward too. You'd think the Chiefs probably add a notable receiver, but Kelsey's, I think, kind of on the downswing now, so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. But Rashi Rice looking pretty good, attached to Mahomes as well. All right, and we have our top three. At number three, these were tough. I went with Sam Laporta, drafted by Kyle at the 211. A nice part of Kyle's, I guess, playoff run in the end, but honestly, Kyle had him on the uh, taxi squad most of the year. Not that that's held against him or anything like you know in these rankings, but just, I guess, speaks to Kyle's team. 
Sam Laporta played in all 16 games. He had 113 targets, which is more than any of these receivers we've talked about. 81 catches for 860 yards and nine touchdowns. He finishes as the tight end one ahead of Kelsey, Hawk, Andrews. On a points-per-game basis, though, he was tight end one. 11.6 points per game. Kelsey was 11.5. Hawk was 11.4. Andrews, before he was hurt, 11.2 points per game. So, Sam Laporta, man. And tight end is is a position where it just takes a while to get in the swing of things. It usually takes a couple years for guys to kind of really hit their stride and, and get going. Kelsey was definitely that way. Andrews was that way. But Sam Laporta, he comes in as a rookie and does it. With one game left to play, Sam Laporta has the fifth most rookie receiving yards as a tight end, third most touchdowns, and third most targets. So really impressive numbers as a rookie from Sam Laporta. And that Lions future, I think they're going to re-sign Goff, I mean, at this point in time. So that would be that would be nice for Laporta as well. At number two, we have another Lion, Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs drafted at the 102 by Devin. Mentioned earlier, but traded to Jake Depius for Najee in the 108. But on the year, Jameer Gibbs played in 14 games. He finishes with 169 carries for 915 yards and 9 touchdowns. That's a 5.4 average. And he has an additional 52 catches for 316 yards and a touchdown. 70 targets, a few less than Bijan, which I thought was interesting. And then Jameer finishes as the RB9 on the year. On a points-per-game basis, he was the RB7. And then I I just noted, in Week 7, David Montgomery is hurt. Gibbs is present, he plays a full allotment of snaps, and he's always a part of the offense from this point forward. I think that week seven game was his uh, highest snap percentage, but he was always a, a part of the offense from that point on. And from week seven on, he'd finish as the running back three on the year in half point scoring and behind only Christian McCaffrey, and obviously Rashad White was running back two in that stretch. <laughs> um, that 10 game stretch also included five separate finishes as a top three RB on the week. Jameer Gibbs popping off. Doesn't matter if Montgomery is there or not. Gibbs is part of this offense, but he's looking really good. And the number one best rookie on the year, in my humble opinion, Puka Nakua, picked up by Rob. He was undrafted. Rob picked him up off of waivers in May or some shit. But Puka Nakua, he was amazing. He's the best rookie this year. He played in all 16 games. He had 154 targets finishing with 101 catches for 1,445 yards and five touchdowns. And again, this is without the extra game if he plays Week 18. He might not. The Rams are sitting some of their starters. So it would make sense if he didn't play. But he finishes as the wide receiver six on the year. And on a points-per-game basis, 14.6. That's good for wide receiver nine. Kind of like Laporta, we have some rookie records we're chasing here. He is chasing the most targets. It is currently Anquan Baldwin with 165. So he needs, uh, what is that, 11 targets to tie Anquan Bold in there. He's chasing the receptions record that is currently being held by Jalen Waddell. He has 104 to Puka's 101, so really close there. And then he's also chasing the receiving yards record. He is a little bit shy of Bill Groman's 1,473, which he did in 14 games in 1960 with the Houston Oilers. So he could overtake all those, honestly, probably... Would expect him to play this week in order to do that. So really impressive year from him. And the kind of scary thing is when you have that many targets and that many catches, I kind of expect more than five touchdowns. So that's not something that's sticky year to year. If he's going to maintain that kind of target share or have it increase if Cooper Cup is gone or less involved, 
you'd expect more than five touchdowns for sure on a year-to-year basis. So that's something to keep an eye on. Puka Nukua, the best rookie, and he went undrafted. So really nice pickup by Rob there. Took him to the championship, right? All right, that is a wrap for the first episode of the Fantasy Brews podcast for the Wisco Dynasty League. I would plan on dropping the next episode a little bit after the Super Bowl. We'll do a Super Bowl review and some other stuff. And I'm looking to do probably an episode a month in the offseason and attempt to go weekly during the year. So thanks, everyone, for a great 2023 season. Congrats again to Kyle. The chat is always open. Let's have some fun. And we'll kick off the new league year on Super Bowl Sunday. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.